This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. As we have hit the month of February, we are two months away now from Minor League Baseball opening day, and we are thrilled to have you along uh, for the the magical journey that is uh, the Show Before the Show podcast. My name is Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, and Benjamin Hill in New York City. Hello, fellas. He did it! He did it! Yes. Long-time listeners, and by long-time, I mean those who listened to at least just last week's episode will know that uh, <laughs> always said hello first, and then I made him self-conscious about that by calling it out, and then when you just said hello, fellas, Sam was nowhere to be seen. He, he left the, the room for a he few months. He physically leaned away from the microphone. He was like, I don't want to deal with it. Now but I yeah. feel bad because I'm like, oh, I, and I intro every episode. Well, that's okay. That's your job. I mean, we, call, we don't call you Tyler Intro Mon for no reason. I mean, that goes back to the days. And hello, Tyler. Now that I'm allowed to say this, hi, hi, Sam. I'm also well, but uh, yeah. But that goes back to the days when it used to be just me and you opening the show, right? And you know, we we've now changed the format a little bit, and Ben's even more on the show than ever. And we should reflect that in who gets to to go first every week. So I literally bit my tongue and leaned away from the microphone to make sure there were no uh, accidents this week. And yeah, this is a new tradition we have going on. Yeah. Zero or one podcast without, one podcast. without an accident. <laughs> we had to erase the blackboard last week. Um, well, welcome in to this week's episode. Uh, big thanks uh, to everybody for tuning in, getting in touch, listening to the show, engaging all that stuff. You can find us uh, podcast at MILB.com for your questions as the minor league baseball season draws nearer and nearer. We are uh, set for opening day coming up just a little bit over two months that first week in April. We will kick off the minor league season here in 2022, and uh, we got a lot to get to on this week's episode of the show before the show. We have three topics to kick off this week's episode. I will not necessarily call it three strikes, but we are going to to discuss three topics to open um, this week's show. And uh, we've got a very cool first topic of the day today, which is that minor league baseball has expanded its inclusion efforts headed into the 2022 season uh, with the announcement and the launch of The Nine, which is a new Black community-focused outreach platform, quoting now from the MILB press release, specifically designed to honor and celebrate the historic impact numerous black baseball pioneers made on the sport, provide new opportunities for youth baseball and softball participation, further diversify the business of baseball and embrace millions of passionate fans throughout MILB's 120 communities nationwide. Uh, Of course, a few years ago, 
minor league baseball rolled out the Copa de la Diversión uh, initiative, which is an outreach program that has been wildly successful um, in terms of connecting uh, with the Latinx community. And this is a very cool new initiative from MILB. Um, there are already teams who have been working on things like this at the team level. Now it'll be expanded under the wider minor league umbrella. Um, guys, give us your, your thoughts to uh, the announcement this week. Well, yeah, I think it's it's obviously a great cause, a great um, program. I mean, obviously, right now, what really matters is what the teams do with it. Every, you know, every minor league team is involved, so I think it'll be something we're clearly going to be covering you know, throughout the season when specific uh, team efforts come into view in terms of how they're honoring their Negro League histories, how they are um, diversifying their front office staffs, how they are doing outreach to communities. Uh, you know, the people in the black community who may not have been to any games or many games. So it, it's um, it's a great template. And I'm really curious and excited to see how it all comes about. It is called the nine as a reference to the number that Jackie Robinson wore in 1946, his lone minor league baseball season when he was a member of the Montreal Royals in the International League. He wore number nine. So the nine, you know, pays tribute to that and what an impactful season that was. And I always like to point this out because I love Jackie Robinson ballpark, home of the Daytona Tortugas. Jackie Robinson also wore number nine in spring training in Daytona Beach in 1946. And uh, that's the reason that that ballpark is called Jackie Robinson ballpark, because that's where he played his first games as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers organization. Yeah, and we've seen a little bit of this stuff in the past. I mean, there's a great story on MLB.com right now about how the Round Rock Express uh, have honored their history and the history of that area with the Austin Black Senators. Um, they've already said that that's going to be coming back for 2022. Going to be interested to see how that's expanded a little bit more now that the nine is in place. Um, we've seen how popular COPA is in tapping into the you know Latin communities and and how those exist in in every city that minor league baseball is played that's also true of, of uh black communities and obviously black communities helped form the history of baseball and has made baseball what it is now um so honoring them in this way also getting them to the ballpark making them feel included uh and making this more than just a one-off night thing and, and more of a you know minor league baseball wide initiative I think is a, is a big first step. Like Ben said, still waiting out more details on how this is going to look club by club and, and who's really going to take this and run with it and in what ways. And I'm sure that's going to be expanded out in 2023 once you know the foundation is set this year. But I'm excited to, to have this announcement in place now and, and hopefully in the coming weeks and months to see how this really comes to fruition. Uh, one of the things, you know, obviously the the throwback games and community outreach and all of that is such a visible element of this. I think one of the things that will be maybe the uh, the element that has the biggest impact, and I'm quoting again from the, the MILB release itself, quote, central to this youth-focused push is a planned expansion of Major League Baseball's reviving baseball in inner cities, the RBI program, throughout MILB's national footprint. New competitions in MLB's pitch, hit, and run in junior home run derby event series will also debut in MILB markets beginning in 2022. Um, MILB teams, this is a continuation of the same piece, 
And we'll continue to build relationships with local Black-owned and operated businesses, local artists and entertainers in an effort to embrace Black culture and make MILB ballparks for a hub for culturally relevant concert shows and community events. And another thing that I think is very cool, uh, a lot of MILB teams share their homes, uh, whether it's their home city or their home region, uh, with HBCUs, historically Black colleges and universities, uh, and opportunities, quote, will be provided for those schools to start internship and mentorship programs with their local team, creating opportunities for on-the-job experience for students prior to entering the job market, which I think is super cool. Um, building a pipeline as well for people who want to get into baseball. Now you've got that connection. If you're at an HBCU and you're in a market that has a minor league team, uh, there are opportunities now through that partnership to be able to intern or get a job there and start your career in sports uh, and in a front office. And it's a really cool initiative. I'm really excited to see uh, the way this thing takes off in 2022. This obviously will not be the last time that we talk about it. Uh, and this is going to be a really cool project going forward. Yeah, and, and what you really touched on there is one thing that I always come back to with minor league stadiums is that minor league stadiums are, are basically, you know, the town square of, of right. a lot of places in the summer. Um, and they should be reflective of that. It shouldn't just be the people who can who live around the area or the people who can drive there and, and get there. Um, it should be reflective of the entire community. And this is another step in that direction. And that's also true of the front office. And that I'm really glad you brought up that point about HPCUs because, um, you know, so much – we, we've talked about we want to see front offices reflective of their communities and all the identities that belong to those communities. Uh, and that isn't often the case. And it, and it takes a little bit more work on the team side to make that happen. It's not on individuals. It's on the entire system. Um, so hopefully this is a step towards that. Uh, again, we'll have to see how, how things work out in actual play. But, um, yeah, that those are two big pillars of this entire initiative. You can visit MILB.com to learn more about the nine uh, and all that stuff is up on the site right now. Uh, moving along, the uh, minor league AAA rebrand that launched a million Steve Miller band jokes, the Sugarland Space Cowboys, the uh, newest named entrant into the AAA landscape in 2022. The team formerly known as the Skeeters unveiled its new identity, uh, which eh, not quite as bad as the Washington Commanders having been leaked a million different times by a million different people. But the name had already gotten out there uh, and the identity was confirmed and officially unveiled this week. Uh, a very big reception for the, the identity unveiling on Saturday uh, in Sugarland at Constellation Park. They actually had to delay the announcement because they were still getting hundreds of fans into the ballpark. They had over 5,000 fans who showed up for the unveiling. Um, ben, this is a, a kind of a very quintessentially minor league baseball name in this new era. The logo is really cool. I do like the, uh, the logo, which was actually handled in-house by the Astros design team now that the parent club owns that team in Sugarland. Uh, but it's a very futuristic looking uh, astronaut with a cowboy hat and a bandana on. Um, both of which I'm assuming would just float away in the in the vast emptiness of space, but we won't talk about it. Um, give us your your thoughts on the uh, the Sugarland Space Cowboys blasting off in 2022. Yeah, not going to make a Steve Miller joke um, or a Casey Musgraves joke. I knew Sam would be like, "Well, I'm younger <laughs> and I'm more in touch with the kids of today." But doesn't her song not exist without the Steve Miller band song? There has Doesn't to be it? some kind of connection there, I'm assuming. I mean, maybe, but still, it's something. I, I just want to speak for the other people who saw this happen and thought Casey Musgraves. For the record, as somebody who grew up listening to I was classic rock 90s, over the radio. Man. 
No, I'm just going to say, as somebody who grew up listening to classic rock over the radio while I did my summer job, Steve Miller is exactly what came up first for me. Yeah. You know, I made the Maurice jokes on Twitter, too. Yeah. Um, but there are I a lot made of people one in the story the about it, but I left it until the last line. So, yeah, uh, I wanted to make sure that it didn't drown in Steve Miller band jokes. Anyway, I, case I just was, wanted it out there. Apparently That's there's all. another one. There's a third uh, artist. I don't know. Josh and I were talking about the the artists who we had seen jokes made about uh, online, but the name, the identity, it it does make a lot of sense for, for that market for the Houston area. Houston, obviously, is the home to the Johnson Space Center for NASA and, you know, Cowboys, Texas. I get it. Yeah, and I think the, the key thing to – one of the key takeaways from this rebrand is that this team was the Sugarland Skeeters, and they were an independent team um, for the better part of, of a decade that they existed. Uh, prior to the 2021 season. So, you know, they ran things as an independent club, you know, had their own players. At one point they had Tracy McGrady on the team as a, as a, as a pitcher. Um, But, you know, it was a different kind of uh, energy, a different kind of team uh, being independent ball. And so 2021 was their first season as the AAA Astros affiliate. Not only that, they are very, very close to Houston and Minute Maid Park and uh, they are owned by the Houston Astros. So I don't think it's a big surprise that, you know, the Astros and the, the Sugarland team together wanted an identity that moved away from their indie ball past and was more reflective of their current reality as the Astros owned um, AAA affiliate playing very nearby. And Tyler, like you said, with specific tie-ins to the Astros and to Texas in general. And Tyler, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on these uniforms beyond just the look and the name. These uniforms, I think, are the best part of this rebrand. They have some of the, the piping down the side is like a gradient that goes from blue to kind of red and feels very spacey, but also ties in with the Astros look, which is blue and, and orange. Um, it just it fits really well. And it seems kind of innovative with just that siding. I kind of wish they made an entire jersey that looks Going in with that gradient, I, I get why it can. It would probably be hard to look at, but it just works so well. Have you seen anything like that? No, I do like the uh, the incorporation of the stars into so much of what this new logo and uniform set look like. Um, and that is, you know, I remember uh, early on in our show before the show days, we had conversations about how um, the, the game for uniforms has really changed because of the sublimation printing process where you can, you can have intricate designs in something because you're no longer relying on just stuff being stitched or embroidery or whatever it is. Um, they are really cool. I mean, I do very much like the home white uniform that has that gradient on the side and it's similar on the, uh, the shoulder um, stripes of the alternate blue, which they're calling vice blue. Um, I like that because it is sort of evocative of uh, a rocket lifting off. The bottom of it is, is like an orange uh, color that gets lighter to white and then sort of a sky blue and then a navy blue. So it's almost kind of like you're blasting off into the, the darker reaches of space. Um, I find that very cool. The stars that are in the word mark, I find very cool. I'm not huge on the the road gray, which has navy blue sleeves. I just think baseball jerseys look a little gimmicky and kind of cheap when the, the shoulder um, or the sleeves are a different color than the rest of the uniform. Uh, but the alternate I think is great. Um, it's a cool look. It is a very cool look. It's one that uh, they did not go 
half-heartedly into this redesign. And I think it has some very thoughtful elements, some really cool elements to it. Their alternate logo, which features kind of a retro, a retro 50s looking rocket in front of a diamond that has the, um, you know, the Texas Lone Star flag in the background, or at least a, a design that's patterned after the Texas flag in the background is cool. Um, but it's, it's a very good set. It's a, a neat look. And I think it does get them into an era where you are not a team now that is being called by the same name that you were during an independent chapter uh, of your franchise history. And so I think, you know, the, the space Cowboys now get to be that franchise for the Astros rather than, you know, this is a, a franchise that has moved in from the Atlantic league and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Ben as kind of pivoting off that point. Is this something you feel like could be coming down the line because we have two other teams joining from the independent ranks last year, the St. Paul saints, well, I feel like can never really change their name. That name is too iconic and too good for the region. But also the Somerset Patriots, who are now under the New York Yankees uh, umbrella and forcing people to be both Yankees and Patriots fans, which might be a little awkward. But do you want to move away from that? I don't know. That's true. I was thinking the same thing that, you know, as you guys both mentioned, Sugarland is one of three now affiliated former independent entities. And, you know, just like you said, Sam, um, St. Paul Saints has so much history. Um, I don't see them moving away from that that name anytime soon. I guess Somerset Patriots would be maybe a little bit more likely, but um, that is a name putting aside the fact that the new England Patriots and the football connection, I mean, Patriots sounds like the sort of name the Yankees would want their double affiliate to have in the first place. And and, uh, I think Somerset has really embraced that, you know, Patriots identity. And uh, when I visited that ballpark last season, it, it seemed really ingrained there. So, I mean, never say never. I'm not privy to their internal thought process, but I'm not expecting anything along those lines, at least not in the, in the near future. I uh, will say that I think Somerset needs at least a redesign. I think a logo, I think I got to get a new look. The Patriots name, fine. I think, like you said, the Yankees organization, obviously we know how they feel about some of their teams rebranding. I do think Somerset's due for uh, an updated look at least. Um, but you know, that's, uh, for people far smarter than me. Uh, so with that, we'll move on to our final step of this, uh, opening segment here this week, which is, uh, the triple a schedule of which the, uh, Sugarland space Cowboys will play one has been expanded from 144 games to 150 games in 2022. Um, there obviously is a whole lot of discussion around baseball as of right now, minor league baseball season will go forward regardless of anything else that's going on. And if you're a triple a fan, you get six additional games this year, Sam, uh, your thoughts on the 150 game schedule. Yeah. I mean, it, this is adding games to the back end of the schedule, um, which I think we saw this happen last year with uh, the way the, the triple a final stretch added games to the end of the, the minor league season as well. It's, it's basically just keeping your guys fresh for a little bit longer, getting you a little further into the season um, instead of having guys go to Arizona and Florida to constantly work out, at least they're working out in game situations. Uh, so each triple a team will get two, three game series tacked on to what they already had um, one at home, one away. So that's three home games for every team uh, to deal with additional home games Triple A season begins April 5th and ends on September 28th. Um, that's going to be one of the longest triple A seasons ever on record. I think you have to go all the way back to the sixties uh, to find the last time a triple A season went this long in terms of games. Uh, yeah, 1964. 
So this year it'll be 150 games in 1964 is 154. Um, so Ben and I were, were talking about this beforehand, not that we get too much into the weeds of like AAA records and stuff, but like it's possible that somebody could set a AAA record this year that would cause there to be an asterisk. Uh, maybe it's something like Reno scores the most runs ever or Las Vegas, one of these AAA West teams that plays in a really uh, hitter friendly ballpark. Yeah. The, the cores of the West, the further West, I guess. Yeah, and it could just be something random, like a bulk record or a hit-by-pitch type of thing. But I'm here for those sort of quirks uh, with more games. But, I mean, yeah, the entire time with – you know, last year was an anomaly with the season going late, but it was, hey, it started late. You know, teams are still coming back from COVID. Um, but this year to have it, it go even longer in AAA till the end of September while starting at a traditional time in the first week of April, I mean, that's an unprecedented minor league length of a season, you know, in terms of 21st century and certainly anything we've covered – I mean, these AAA teams, you know, in the era of, you know, normalcy up through 2019, you know, would end at Labor Day with everybody else. So you're talking about almost a whole month now um, added on to what was their traditional season for decades going all the way up to 2019. And, you know, being someone who interacts with front offices more than players and uh, someone who has done road trips towards the end of the year, even when the end of the year used to just be up around Labor Day weekend, you do see staffing issues even putting aside staffing issues being a larger nationwide problem right now, but you know a lot of game day employees or college students, uh, students in general go back to school. You definitely see like skeleton crew game day staffs uh, towards the end of a season, even when it was ending at Labor Day. So I did think of it from an operational perspective that uh, keeping things staffed and 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 running smoothly all the way through the end of September is a you know a new wrinkle, a new challenge. But at the end of the day, it's pretty cool to say, wow, 150 game season. That's uh, that's a lot of games. Um, and then I always think back historically to the Pacific Coast League when it was, you know, de facto quasi third major league on the West Coast. And some of those years back in the 20s or 30s or whenever, they would play like 230 games. There are some absurd Pacific Coast League records that will never be broken because so and so was collecting like, you know, 314 hits in a 232 game season or what have you. Uh, and one thing, Tyler, you brought this up, but I just I want to underline it, circle it, do whatever we can to really emphasize this. The minor league season is beginning on schedule, no matter what happens with the work stoppage. Uh, it, it's something that every few days I see people answering this on, on Twitter, whether it's a club, whether it's a fellow reporter. Um, so I, I feel like it's something we should almost say weekly at this point on this show. Uh, AAA opening day is April 5th. Every other team in minor league baseball, in full season ball anyway, so double A, high A, low A, is scheduled to start on April 8th. Um, so there are two separate minor league opening days, but both of them are full green light right now. If a if the work stoppage is still ongoing and there's a delay to the major league season for whatever reason, uh, non-40-man players would be allowed to play in the minor leagues. Teams won't have a problem, you know, filling all these rosters. Uh, when, you know, the, the lockout ends after that, 40-man guys come back, they get assigned to teams, might see a little bit of, of movement after that. Hopefully it never comes to that. Hopefully we get a season that starts on time. But if we don't, the minor league season will continue unabated. Um, so just I want everybody to know that we will have minor league baseball on April 5th and no later. And that'll do it for our opening segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. We have a very fascinating and cool conversation coming up today. The Stockton Ports... 
in the Oakland Athletics Organization, the low A affiliate of the Oakland A's, have announced a very unique partnership for their 2022 campaign. It actually began in December of 2021. They signed the University of the Pacific's Pierre Crockerel II to their first NIL contract back in December. If you are unfamiliar with NIL, name, image, and likeness, it is uh, the new legislation that has enabled college athletes uh, to be able to be compensated for services, whether it's advertising, endorsements, all that type of stuff. Um, this is something we have not seen before from a minor league baseball team, but um, Ben kind of laid the groundwork. First off, how did you uh, come across the story? And secondly, learning, I, you know, I do some work in college athletics. I still don't even really get all the parameters of NIL, um, but this is a cool thing for a minor league team to jump in on. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know too much about the parameters of this either. So we will learn about it via this upcoming conversation. Um, the Stockton Ports press release, as minor league team press release tend to do, it said it is believed that this is the first you know deal of its kind. This is the first deal of its kind from a minor league baseball team. And um, I actually was contacted by someone um, soon after it was announced saying, like, has, has anyone ever done this before? I feel like there has been. And uh, I was racking my brain. I was like, yes, there has been definitely. And it was Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs did one uh, already with a member of the women's basketball team. I should have pulled it up. I should have had that info ready to go. But I will say this is not the very first of its kind, but clearly a very new type of partnership um, in minor league baseball specifically and just in you know sports at large, because this is a fairly new concept uh, with collegiate players being able to make these types of deals. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Pat Philippone, the president of the Stockton Ports, and Pierre Crockrell, a point guard with the University of Pacific uh, Collegiate Team, the Pacific Tigers. And the reason we have these two guests on together is because Pierre and the Ports have agreed to an NIL deal, a name, image, and licensing deal, uh, where uh, Pierre will be doing work for the ports as, a, as part of a, a unique partnership. And this is something we've rarely seen in the minor league baseball landscape. Obviously it's new in American sporting culture at large. So um, thank you to the both of you for coming on today and uh, explaining a little bit about, about how this came about and uh, you know, what the future holds. Thanks for having us, Ben. Thank you guys. Yeah. Well, let's start with you, uh, Pierre. You're from Tacoma, Washington initially. Yes. What brought you to the University of Pacific and uh, Stockton, California? Um, well, first off, basketball, I think for me, I just wanted to go to a place where um, I'd be able to get a good education and also be able to further my athletic career. Um, so now I thought the University of Pacific was the best place for me and the best fit for me to do that. And Pat, in the... Um press release announcing this uh, partnership, you said Pierre cares deeply about and is actively involved in the Stockton community. Um, Pierre, 
can you speak a little bit more about that in, in the ways you've been involved and, uh, you know, how you've become, you know, a prominent presence in the city of Stockton? Um, I just think my leadership roles on the court and off the court has allowed me to, to meet and network new people in the community of Stockton. Uh, so just trying to be you know, a positive influence to um, the younger generation that are, you know, trying to do something in sports uh, as well as academics, um, you know, just trying to be a positive role model for the ones that are coming up after me. And Pat, if you could talk about how you first got to know Pierre and, you know, how this partnership came about on the, uh, the, the team end from the front office perspective. Certainly. So, you know, from the team side, particularly after COVID, you know, you know, community focus and being a bridge to the community in a lot of different ways has always been important to the ports. And, you know, it was a tough year, 20, obviously, and 21 was tough as well because we couldn't do player appearances. We couldn't do a lot of stuff. And so I'm a huge college basketball fan. It's my second sports passion behind baseball. And uh, when this NIL stuff started coming, I just started percolating my mind that I'd like to get involved more with UOP at a couple levels. I think we've uh, our, our relationship with the college has been solid since I've been in town for 15 years, but I've always felt we've kind of could do more with it. So in my head, I thought this could be a way to do that, uh, to generate, you know, more knowledge of our product to students while they're in session over there, but also just to kind of show to the community that we're working together, two prominent longstanding uh, institutions in the city. So as in my head, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this name, image, and licensing thing because I think it's cool and I think it's a good opportunity for the kids and it's a good opportunity to, to cement our partnership and then literally two weeks later um, at a game a ports game I saw Leonard Perry the coach and um, and I, I had not met him um, and he just recently was named the head coach promoted from within when the Damon Sodomite the prior coach went to the Celtics so I introduced myself and uh, we chatted and he said he's been to a few games as a big baseball fan. And I just said, hey, I want to do this. How do I do this? And he was pumped. He's like, oh, that'd be great. Um, so he said he's going to have a couple of folks from the athletic department contact me. And then in the meantime, I had been introduced by a mutual acquaintance to Christopher Callahan, the president of the university, who is new he started during 2020 and COVID so he came uh, obviously could be more visible in 2021 getting out in the market so I told him as well and he was pumped about it so that got the momentum going uh, we synced up with a couple of folks in the athletic department I said you know this is basically what I want to do I want to have a partnership with an athlete student athlete that uh, someone that is uh, you know that gets it as far as community involvement uh, gets it as far as being someone that we can be proud to be partnered with. And, uh, you know, my personal preference and biases is men's basketball. So, uh, you know, so let's start there and then, uh, you know, we can figure it out. So Pierre's name rose to the top and uh, I am not in the social media world, but obviously my staff who uh, is, you know, they did some research on Pierre and the social media stuff and felt like uh, he represents and stands for things that we are important to us. And it made sense. So we, we requested Pierre to the group and they said, all right, we'll get you in touch and sent me Pierre's cell phone number, called Pierre and he was into it. And the rest is history. Here we are. So we're, we're excited <laughs> and it's been it's been a lot of fun. 
And Pierre, what was it like from your point of view? Just because the NIL stuff, it felt like not the floodgates had opened, but it just like a light switch had turned. All of a sudden, all of this stuff was legal. I'm sure you and your fellow student athletes were talking about this a bunch. But how much was something like this even on your radar uh, when the the announcement first came out? And what was your reaction to finding out this is something that could happen to you during your college career? Um, it was exciting because, um, you know, you you there's always been this like past of, you know, college athletes skipping college and, you know, wanting to go pro or, you know, saying college athletes should be paid off their likeliness. So for it to actually happen was exciting. Um, and then for Pat to reach out, I was on board right away just because of the ports and being in the Stockton community, it was a, it was a no brainer. So um, definitely appreciate Pat um, for the opportunity. Yeah, and in the press release as well, it talks about you're a fan of baseball, as Ben mentioned before. You're from Tacoma. Did you have much of a connection with, like, the Rainiers going back to those days? Or, like, how, how much of minor league baseball are you aware of before you really got entrenched in this way? I went to more Rainiers games that I, than I would Mariners games because Rainier Stadium was probably, like, 10 minutes away from my house where I grew up. So I was always at Rainier, Rainier games growing up, trying to get baseballs from players, trying to just get, you know, get whatever I could from players. Um, so Rainier, Rainier, Tacoma Rainier games is like a big thing um, in the city. So, yeah, I was definitely going to those games as a kid growing up. There you go. Yeah. And, and now under this role, how do you kind of envision this? Like, what are you hoping to do in you know, in concert with the ports in terms of talking up the community, but also strengthening those bonds between Pacific and the ports? Uh, for sure. Definitely want to strengthen the community as well, um, but kind of want to tie in Pacific as well. Um, you know, just trying to get more students out there at games um, and, you know, just trying to make it um, a different environment that people will enjoy. I don't think there's that many students that, go to ports games right now but hopefully we can bridge that gap and you know get students out there get staff members out there you know just try to get as much people in the community to support the ports as we can here what does it mean to you when you hear pat say that part of the the big um aim of this was to get somebody who was involved in such good things it'd be one thing if you know a team went to a an athletic department and said hey we just want your best athlete the guy who you know statistically as as the biggest numbers or whatever for it to be a reflection on you as a person and your involvement in the community and somebody who the team really wanted to build a relationship with what did that mean to you when you first heard from them uh it meant a lot because um i think Basketball aside, just the way my parents raised me, you know, treat others with respect, treat others how you would like to be treated, um, I think is one thing that stuck out to me and for, you know, the opportunity to present itself. It felt like, you know, just being a good person and doing the things that were right as a kid growing up, um, it's starting to kind of, you know, pay off, uh, pay off now as I get older. When you and I'm sure you guys are still nailing some of this down. I know we talked a little bit about the social media stuff and all that. What are and Pat, you can address this too. some of the real world implementation things for how this NIL deal is executed is Pierre. What I'm asking is Pierre going to be like in a mascot race. You're going to make him throw on like the asparagus costume and just like race across the field at Banner Island ballpark. Well, uh, we haven't gotten that far unless Pierre did with, uh, with Chris and Kieran, but uh, no, for sure. The first pitch. Uh, I think a big piece of it is, is, um, 
you know, we wanted Pierre to be dialing up some ports gear, the latest and greatest ports gear, which he's done in a lot of his postings, which is cool. And uh, we're going to have uh, Pierre as a guest to throw at the first pitch, as I mentioned earlier, at a game in April. And again, the target there is to have our fans in the offseason that get introduced to Pierre and his personality and get to know him above and beyond what he does on the court is to see him live at the ballpark and join a ports game. So that's a big part of it, again, to, to generate interest from our already our fan base, but get the new fans that go to UOP games, UOP students, and so on and so forth, and uh, get them involved. But if Pierre wants to dial it up in the asparagus costume and get a couple of the teammates out there, let's go. We can play some one-on-one, do something, you know. You never know. I was going to say, Pierre, is there anything – is there anything, Pierre, that you have wanted to do, like, since you found out about the deal? Is there anything that's like, oh, I, w- I want to be a bat boy for a day. I want to be <laughs> – I want to hand out and give the lineup card over in the in the plate meeting pregame. Like, have you thought of anything yet? I think you might see me in Splash at a game this year. <laughs> you might see me at a Splash in a game this year. Um, just because I've – being a mascot, like, I've, I've never done anything like that. So, you know, try to get out of my comfort zone and be Splash for a game. I think that would be fun and uh, also uh, good for the fans. I think it's a good plan. Yeah, I like that, that. We can make that happen. We can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like we're at the negotiating table our, ourselves or the pitch table of like, <laughs> let's just come up with our own stuff. We're the mediators but, here. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. here, I know, like, again, going back to you, you have connections back to Washington. I'm sure you have, you know, guys back there who are, were participating in NCAA sports all, all over the country. And with your conversations with other friends who might be, whether from Tacoma, Stockton, wherever, um, how much are you guys talking about this now as potentially like we're talking about this as a unique thing between a student athlete and a minor league baseball team. But is there any part of you that's reaching out to some friends who is just like, Hey, if you have a minor league team around me, you might want to reach out about this. Uh, personally, I haven't really talked to any of my uh, friends back home or anything about like them reaching out to a team. Um, but I think it would be a good idea for you know, for them to actually reach out to teams because I think there, there could also be more partnerships as well around minor league baseball um, with athletes. Um, but, um, like, I just think as athletes, you should probably network on your own and not kind of wait for someone to, you know, hit you up and open the door um, just because there is opportunities out there for us. And so um, we should – pursue those opportunities as best as we can. Yeah. I mean, minor league baseball and local colleges go hand in hand in almost every community. So something to look out for. And Pierre, before I go, I, I just wanted to ask you this because we've had you on to talk about this partnership, but I want you to talk about your game a little bit. I, I was looking over the stats and we mentioned before you were a point guard. You're a guy who leads the team in assists. You lead the team in minutes per game. What is your game like? out there on the court? Uh, I'm a true point guard. I'm a pass first point guard, you know, try to get my teammates going. Um, and there's no, just a real leader out there. I feel like my teammates follow my lead, um, whether that's defensively or offensively, you know, I got to set the tone. I'm the head of the snake. So people feed off my energy. So um, every day I have to come in and, you know, attack practices, like I'm attacking the game. Um, as a point guard, you can't have no bad practices um, because if a point guard has a bad practice, that means, most likely the team will have a bad practice. So uh, just a a point guard, a real true point guard, a real leader. Um, And yeah, I would say I can, you know, I can score when I need to, but um, I'm really looking to get my teammates involved and get them going so that 
our team can, you know, have the best chance of winning. Yeah. And, and I know size uh, depend, you know, d- decides a lot of where you play on the court, but also just in terms of those leadership qualities that you're talking about, being the point guard, being the guy with the ball in your hands. How much do you feel like that informs your personality as somebody who is trying to get involved in the community and trying to connect folks in, in ways beyond just the court? Uh, I think it's easy. I think I'm like uh, I'm an easy person to get along with. So, you know, off the court and in the community, um, you know, it's easy for me to, you know, get along with others um, just because of, you know, the, the things that I have to deal with on the court, dealing with different emotions, different attitudes, um, different people. So um, I try to take those skills that I have on the court and use them off the court as well. What I could throw in is just from watching Pierre play. I mean, the energy, he brings energy to the court um, as the point guard as well. So there's a lot of energy. He's the the energizer bunny, so to speak, of the team, which is which is fun to see as well. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing what kind of energy you bring to the ballpark, uh, Banner Island Ballpark this season. And um, I know this partnership is still in its early stages, and we still got a whole baseball season uh, two months away. Uh, so a lot more to come. And I certainly don't want to get a you know get ahead of ourselves, but you know, a big deal in minor league baseball, you know, are bobbleheads. And Pierre, you're working with the team, you're making an impact. Do you ever um, imagine what your bobblehead would look like or envision your uh, Pierre Crockerell bobblehead giveaway day? And, uh, you know, is, is that something that's on your mind? It's such a big deal in minor league baseball. You got to get that bobblehead. I love bobbleheads growing up. <laughs> I had a lot of bobbleheads as a kid growing up. And I never really thought of myself, you know, being a bobble, being on a bobblehead. So, I love the idea of, you know, me being on a bobblehead. So if we could make that happen. That would be- <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Also possible. The one thing going through this process was kind of the wild west is that it came out that he, we couldn't utilize in this partnership, Pierre and official university of Pacific gear. So, um, so we got a lot of pictures of Pierre and our gear. So you never know, that could be the bobblehead. So uh, we, we could get something done there as well. Yeah, you can get creative. I mean, the head of the snake, that seems to lend itself to <laughs> that some. That is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, right. Pierre's head, snake's body, done. <laughs> oh, good, yeah. Good, red, white, and blue. Well, good. There we go. Yeah. All right, well. And that's it's game cool. day today, by the way. Pierre's joining us on game day. you got a game against Pepperdine in like seven hours. Yes, I was like class in about like. 15 minutes. Going <laughs> 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 to class on game day. Uh, actually just got done with our practice shoot around. So came straight from that to the podcast. So shoot around a minor league podcast class in a game. It's just like a regular Thursday, man. There you go. An athlete. Yeah. <laughs> time job, man. There you go. Excellent. Well, we'll let you go because I know there's a million things to do, but uh, Pat Philippone, the president of the Stockton Ports and Pierre Crockrell, uh, thank you so much for both of you to, for being here on the podcast. And we're looking forward to seeing what comes about this season with this partnership. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Having us. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair 
One was the apple of a kid's eye. The others are the fruit of an overactive imagination. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Mount Clemens Bathers. B. The Colgate City Splash. C. The Fox River Dippers. Pardon me while I get on my soapbox, but if you guessed anything other than A, the Mount Clemens Bathers, you've come across as all wet behind the ears. <laughs> Mount Clemens, about 20 miles north-northeast of Detroit, is on the banks of the Clinton River and a stone's throw west of Lake St. Clair. From the 1870s well into the 20th century, that thrown stone was likely to make a splash in a mineral bath next to a noteworthy American. Clark Gable, Mae West, and members of the Vanderbilt family all took to the waters in Mount Clemens. Babe Ruth was said to enjoy spending the night on the Mount Clemens Riverside benches after an evening of, uh, taking in the waters, too. <laughs> Naturally, this town needed a ball club, and the bathers dove into the Southern Michigan Association in 1906. Those inaugural bathers played pristinely, soaking the second-best Kalamazoo White Sox by six and a half games to take home the towel, a uh, pennant. The manager of that 06 team, and the father of the bathers more generally, was Walter Dad Trombley. And William Roth, third baseman for Mount Clemens, showed no mercy while leading the league with 115 hits. But it was a slippery slope for the Sudsy bathers from there, as they sank to fourth place, not quite holding their heads above water at 51-51 and 51 in 07. They dropped out of the association by the following spring and didn't emerge again until joining the Border League, again led by Dad Trombley, in 1912. Although the circuit was limited to a 35-game schedule that year and would drown just over a dozen games into the 13th season, the rebirthed bathers did have a moment in the sun. Mount Clemens ascended to legend by throwing no hitters on back-to-back -back days. On August 14, 1912, Thomas Caesar, the mighty one destined to win 11 games for the Bay City Beavers in 1914, pulled off the trick, and Lou North, who went on to play in 172 big league games, followed swimsuit for the bathers the next day. And that's the clean version of the down and dirty for the Mount Clemens bathers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these repetitive repeats sounded familiar in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Bend Benders. B. The King of Prussia Prussians. C. The Union Springs Springs. Want to know the answer? Want to know the answer? Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is fishing for compliments, and he doesn't have any bait. <laughs> Huge thanks to the Stockton Ports, uh, their team president, Pat Filippone, and Pacific's Pierre Crockrell II for talking about their uh, unique deal in minor league baseball. Not fully unique, not one of a kind, but certainly uh, the teams that have started on this track, uh, the first ones into the pool. Very cool stuff from them. Big thanks to Josh Jackson as well for this week's Ghosts of the Minor segment. Um, that'll uh, that'll just about do it. Have you dudes survived the... Uh, winter storms that you have gotten blasted with more to come. So, um, 
Not counting Same. on my survival just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Getting close though. Uh, Josh Jackson had uh, he had like eighteen inches of snow up in Maine where he lives. Yeah, but he's like a human yeti, so it's he no is. Problem. That yeah. is true. He had no trouble. Which is funny because now you know the the bathers. Just thinking about that, and then also right. thinking Josh <laughs> having to do that while he's freezing up in Portland um, is a very funny image in my brain. Uh, but yeah, no, I, a lot of the snow is kind of going away because now it's. 44 degrees and that feels downright balmy not yeah. to rub that in your face. Yeah. Tyler. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Nice. And As somebody who's, are you in single digits or teens? Uh, today we are in the teens, but when I woke up this morning, it was negative one. So real fun, real yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, looking forward to the days when the forties feel balmy again. I miss them. <laughs> I mean, that just taps into the small part of me before I really knew you and had ever been to Colorado that just thought all of Colorado was like the shining in January right. and February. Right. Like you all just shut down. You all get below 3000 feet. You all abandoned everything. And, we all, uh, we, we just sit in empty fields, uh, in, in hedge mazes and we're frozen solid like Jack Nicholson. It's pretty much the way the winter goes. I mean, I've seen all the, the work you've done in your backyard. I, that is I true. That was to put in a maze. I need to put in a hedge maze. I think it'll be very fun. My dog probably would not. Uh, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon, and we'll talk to you next week. 